As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. We are here once again and we are going to do an in-depth preview on this weekend's FA Cup final. We've got some breaking transfer news to get our teeth into as well. And we're going to finish the podcast with your emails. We had some brilliant reactions to the suggestions for an anthem for Manchester United. Some better than others, um, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. I need to introduce you to our crew for the day. We have Lawrence Whitwell, as he's now known. Um, I like how that's caught on, Lawrence. Lawrence James Whitwell, to give me my full name. There you go. If you if yeah. you'd like, LJW. Yeah. Well, when I was in school, I did graphics uh, at, at Bromwell High School, and I my logo was an L with a J, and together makes a W. Right. I'm doing this for the camera uh, listeners. Sorry, you can't see it, but Ian's nodding along, and he's. he's Mind has been blown by this. Some stories you probably don't need to share, but that's fine. It's a lovely way to start the pod. Thank you for that little brief look back on Bramall High. Um, we also have Andy Mitten. A lorry's at home, I should say. I'm in a caravan in Cornwall, as you do. And Andy Mitten is in a suit. Why on earth are you in a suit, Andy? I, I, I know you enjoy doing these, but you really don't need to make the effort for it, mate. <laughs> I've got the same middle name as Laurie. Just learned that. James. Oh. Anyway, I'm in a suit because uh, I've got to be in a suit because I'm working at the Europa League final in Budapest and uh, I was advised to, to wear a suit so that's why I'm wearing a suit. Even today? Yeah, yeah. I've just had some some meetings today and uh, with um, technical observers, really interesting people, high level uh, coaches, former coaches and I just listened to them and just been with a guy Thomas Schaff and didn't really know him. He's like, yeah, I won the double with Werder Bremen and you know when Man United beat Barcelona? Well, we beat Bayern Munich um, a week later in the cup as well in 1999. And then you Google him and realise that, you know, this guy's a legend. So I've been um, getting their observations on the Europa League final last night. So I'm guessing your experience of the Europa League final was very different than if it had been Manchester United who were playing Roma. Um, yeah. Especially, uh, did you have a, an angry Portuguese man shouting at you at any point? <laughs> So I'm completely neutral. Really? I probably favoured Roma 
because I knew I could speak to Chris Smalling, the man you Matic after, didn't happen, went into Mourinho's press conference, he got there really early. And I just sat there as he, he went through like this 15 minute rant in Italian and you can sort of understand where he was going, went on and on and on and then... You could hear it, him say Anthony Taylor, basically. Yeah, you, you could, you could actually. <laughs> you know, the in yeah. Inglese referee and like, and then you see it's headline news and then later on you see that he's, he's approached him in the, in the car park and it was not a pretty game at all. I'm still annoyed that Severe knocked United out. I'm never going to mention that again. At least they've won the competition. I know. Can, can we take some comfort from that? Well, they win it all the time, don't I they? I know, but like I can't, I, United went out to the winners. I can take like 2% of it. But, <laughs> but Budapest would have been brilliant. Fully United fans, lovely city, great weather, yeah, what a city. fantastic right. stadium. Right, I'm cutting you off. We only want positive vibes on this. We've got like literally hours <laughs> till another final at Wembley at the weekend. We can't be going over defeats like they happened yesterday. <laughs> so let's forget about the S word and move it on. We won't preview the match just yet. We have to start with the breaking transfer news because I know it gets people... Um, what do we call them, Andy? Transfer junkies. We get the transfer junkies transfer excited. Junkies. He coined this, didn't I he? Did. he? Andy's claiming he coined this. But I think I think even reasonable Manchester United fans are, should be excited about transfers now considering we're approaching the transfer window, yeah? We're all right to be excited about them now, yeah? I think it's all right to get excited about football transfers, but there is definitely a subsection of Manchester United's fan base who go way too far with it. And I, I think that they're more obsessed with transfers and actually watching the team itself. They could actually, Manchester United could stop playing matches and just focus on buying and selling players. And that, that would do for some. A couple of my friends are like that. Yeah, I, I get messages from them. I don't hear from them any other time apart from, who are we signing then? I'm hearing whispers. <laughs> <laughs> but like they've got some exclusive. Yeah, brilliant. I yeah. know that feeling. I had a friend messaging about Mason Mount months ago claiming that he'd spoke to someone at a party in London. Ah. And then when all the sort of stories started surfacing about Mason Mount again, he was back in touch saying, see, I told you, like, forget the <laughs> 849 <laughs> other players that he's messaged me about over the last five years. But anyway, <laughs> let's talk about this because it's an exclusive by Lawrence Whitwell on The Athletic. Two new names-ish for Manchester United fans to, to cast their eye over. Who are we talking about, Larry? Yeah, so I felt like it was a, a, a story to do now. I'm, I'm always, as Andy says not reluctant, but I'm always cautious about throwing names out there just for the sake of it, because it's easy to do that, you know, particularly when United uh, talk to several different players or their agents and different clubs to kind of assess the market. But there's definitely a sense that they are stepping things up since they've qualified for the Champions League and they've got a, a, a greater clarity on how much money they might be able to spend. John Murtagh, the football director in particular, I think is very busy at the moment, um, meeting people, taking calls, trying to assess the landscape. So the two players that I've mentioned here, uh, Atalanta striker Rasmus Hoyland, who's 20, and uh, Frankfurt striker Randall Colo Moani, who's 24. Um, and so the, the idea I think here is that Harry Kane is definitely uh, United's principal target, or certainly Ten Hag's principal target. Can they get him? That's the big question. How long will that pursuit potentially last in the summer? So as an alternatives or equally you know in the in an ideal world as an addition because I think Ten Hag ultimately wants an experienced striker plus a younger one that he can develop they're looking at what the options are and th these are two players that are on the market you know it's not a secret that th these guys are sort of looking can, can I make the next step now so Hoyland is like I say only 20 but he's a Danish international and has had a good season at Atalanta Moani scored in the World Cup final so th these are two guys that are you know 
of a level that you feel like United could tap into. So it, that's why it's maybe exciting for fans. Um, but I mean, the, the information that I have is that Hoyland at the moment seems more likely if they do sign one of them, just because he is less expensive than Muani because of his age profile. I think Frankfurt are looking at maybe trying to get 80 million for him, which would be, um, would really, really stretch United's finances because, because it all comes back to this as well. How much do they actually have to spend? Can they, can they make, one signing early and then see if they can sell some players and get more money in and then go for another signing. It, it's, it is still a very tight situation. So I'm not, I'm absolutely not saying, you know, they're going to sign these two strikers and they're going to get Kane. There's, there's Rice and there's Mount <laughs> that we'll touch on as well. Let, let's just put, put a break on it there. But they are having conversations where they get into a level where you're thinking, okay, that they really are properly assessing what's out there and then they can make the judgment. Yeah, you said in there that Colin Moani had scored in the World Cup final. Um, he scored a penalty in the World Cup final. He scored, I think, in the semi-final. He had a record, didn't he, for the quickest goal Sorry. as a sub in the That's semi-final. It. It's still very impressive and he played in the World Cup final as well, like I say, and scored one of the two penalties that, that France scored. Andy, what this does show is that Manchester United are making moves or preparing to make moves despite all the uncertainty or the the ownership and everything else, you know, this is United acting, isn't it? Which if the moves are made and followed through, absolutely. Because there is a lot of uncertainty out there because people do want clarity. I think getting in the Champions League helps because wages can be increased, the budget can be increased. But as Laurie says, United also need to shift players. Interesting on Muani, I I asked someone, and you can probably work it out, nothing to do with Manchester United in February. And this person's job is to recruit football players. And I said... Who are all the big clubs talking about at the moment? And the person just said, the lad at Frankfurt. And I thought, okay. Because it's, it's, it, it's not a massive jump because he'd done really well and I saw him play last season in the Europa League, actually. Um, but he is an, an in-demand um, striker. So I think United fans would be delighted if transfer business would be done early. I'm, I'm not sure how the transfer junkies would, would cope this summer. I mean, imagine if they signed all the players by like the end of the month, like, and that's it. They'll still have this months, Andy. I mean, look, look at last summer. I mean, this is what I was reflecting on in the piece that I've written today. The first signing came through the door July the fifth. We're still what are we like five weeks away from that, and then it was you know Anthony on September the first. So, I mean, could, could they have done these kind of conversations before? I, I don't know, and then, then really hit the ground running. I think they probably had to wait till they knew where they were in the Champions League to to to, to give some substance to, and also the takeover. You know, as you say, that could still change the dynamic. Although, you know, I think it is business as usual in terms of what United. So they could make a sign in. You know, like right now, it would it would need Joel Glazer's uh, sign off. Still, they're not at the stage where they're having to talk to you know the interested parties. And we, we've mentioned that uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe's bid seems like the, the most momentum behind it, and there's talks being held about what he might do with the club if he took over um, but they're not at the stage yet where they have to sanction get, get sanctioned from um, any you know new owner um, I mean the, the thing that also is worth mentioning obviously like, please do go to the Athletic and, and read the article if, if you're interested in this because Mark Carey's actually done a piece on Hoyland that's really interesting sort of a statistical breakdown as to what he might bring um, but I, I'm led to believe that Hoyland has is joining SCG which is the agency uh, represented by Eric Ten Hag 
and and Keyes Voss is uh, you know, regular at Old Trafford, for example. So there's there's a thought. I mean, he, he was. I think he was just represented by his father previously, or that that's his only link. So he's, he was always going to take on an agency. But the fact that there's it's an agency that obviously has got strong links to United, maybe you know, there's something to that. Yeah, he's been nicknamed Haaland 2.0 at times as well, hasn't he? For the fact that he's Scandinavian and scores a lot of goals. So and his name's fairly similar, I suppose, as well. There's detail from Rafa Honigstein and Colo Moani in Laurie's piece on the Athletic as well. So go and have a look at that. Um, Laurie, you also interrupted David Ornstein's night out in London uh, to bring us news on Mason Mount, which was quite fun on the last pod. Did you have a nice time? It was lovely, yeah. I, I stuck to a couple of glasses of white wine, which was you know the free option. And then, Andy, your mind will be blown at this. I didn't even buy a drink. So they, I could have had some kind of cocktail but I thought no I'll stick to the free stuff and, and keep my mind fairly clear was it not fairly normal that you didn't buy a drink wasn't that part of what Andy's issue was fair okay that is a good point yeah no, I, I, no to be fair he's, he's generous I've not got a problem with Laurie buying drinks I thought him being tight was part of it that you no, had to buy him like it's not mm, tight it, it, right. it, it, my drinks cost three quid and his costs 30 quid. That's my issue. Sorry, yeah. And the other one is the embarrassment factor of going to the bar and asking for something where I just get ridiculed because they think I'm making it up because he just makes his drink names up. Carry on. Did you see my Singapore sling at the weekend at Climate? It looked nice. It had ben- had Benedictine in it, Ian. Had Benny. Nice. So um, Benedictine is a French liqueur which we've talked about a long time ago on the podcast. Benny or not. We're, yeah, when Burnley were in the Premier League. So maybe it'll have its comeback again next year. But basically, the biggest drinkers of Benedictine in the world, despite it being a French liqueur, is Turf Moor, uh, because they sell <laughs> a drink called Benny and Hot, Benedictine and Hot Water, which is one way to make the football more interesting. Although I think Vincent Company's seen to that, to be fair, uh, at Burnley. That's going to be a totally different proposition next season. Anyway, we digress. There are some plans, actually, to have um, a little uh, cocktail of our own, a little t- Talk of the Devil's label. Oh, what a tease, um, For the live shows. It's not been finalised just yet, so I won't say any more. But um, well, that is a reason to buy tickets, isn't it, Ian? It is a good reason to buy tickets, Laurie. Yeah, thank you very much. Actually, let's do it now. Remember, we have got the live shows coming up. Um, that was a smooth link, wasn't it? In September, we're at New Century in Manchester on Monday, September the 4th. And then in London's Leicester Square Theatre the following night, Tuesday the 5th of September. Just a little update on tickets as well. At the moment, Manchester is outperforming London in sales. They are selling fast in both locations. So if you want to get down there, if you want to get a ticket, act now to book tickets. And for more information, head to myticket.co.uk and search for Talk of the Devils. Just to bring it back round then to Mason Mount, Laurie, anything you want to add since your little chat with Vaughn? I do think that talks are continuing to happen. There's obviously been reports about uh, terms being agreed. Certain sources have said that that's what they understand it to be, but we're just keeping our foot on the ball because as ever with these things, you know, it's difficult to fully confirm things and we only want to write things that we're absolutely certain on. But yeah, I'm not surprised by those reports coming out this week. The only thing is it still would require a transfer fee to be agreed between the two clubs and I'm not sure how close that would be. And whether if there's uh, a certain limit of, of finance, whether United would go for a central midfielder, which Tenag does want, you know, a mobile number eight, over a striker uh, from the get-go. There's two people at Manchester United on the football side who really like Mason Mount, and maybe more, but absolutely two. So are you a bit more confident about this, Andy, than you were when you spoke on the last podcast? Yeah, I got that extra bit of information a couple of days after that, so... I'm not going to say it's done or not. And I think David Ornstein does this sort of stuff really well. So just keep watching The Athletic. 
I think David might have reflected on this at the time, but there's that game, Vitesse Arnhem versus Ajax, when Mason Mount was on loan at Vitesse and uh, they won 3-2. So I think from that moment, Tenag's kind of just had him in the back of his mind. And we know from the signings that he's made already that he likes to have his own input on that. You know, Malassia, for example, you know, player that played against him and did really well. And, and he, he thought, right, well, now's my chance to, to get him. So it, it would at least make sense. In yeah, that it's interesting that Mason Mount would be a Ten Hag signing, um, considering, you know, it, it, to me, it seemed like a name that, that maybe the football side of, of things at United in, in the back in the background would have t- would have sort of highlighted rather than him because of the finances involved because he's played the majority of his career in the Premier League. Anyway, there's one last thing to reflect on before we move it on to the cup final. Diogo Delo's new contract, Andy. What are we to make of that? Been talked about for a long time. I think it all boils down to how much it is because I think broadly he started this season well. He's not had the best time after the World Cup. Is he the best right back in the world? No. We've covered him in depth on this podcast. I think he probably deserves that that contract. I think he's improving season on season. Does it suggest that Ten Hag's happy with his right backs then, this deal? It might suggest that Ten Hag feels that there are other priorities for this close season and you might apply that to the goalkeeper as well. I think that's pretty accurate. I think Diogo wanted to stay at Manchester United. The, the, the financial side of it, which isn't reported, is really important. Manchester United are, are much more stringent on how they bracket the players now in terms of the pay structure, which is one of the issues with David De Gea's contract and what his next contract is going to be if, if, if he signs one. So I think the club are happy with Delo's, um contract. I'm probably sounding totally unconvinced because if you ask me, do I think he'll be the full-back in three years' time, I would have my doubts. All right, then. Well, there was also some interesting comments made by Ten Hag about De Gea, Maguire, a couple of others as well. So that'll be something that we'll get into uh, on our last podcast of the season after the FA Cup final. If you want to ask the lads any questions about Manchester United's summer transfer business, we have the email now, of course, devilspod at theathletic.com. Get in touch. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Right then, here we go. I feel like this would be some sort of fanfare here. The first ever cup final between Manchester United and Manchester City is literally hours away now. Well, depending on when you're listening to this, it's 
might be a lot sooner than now, actually. That's how podcasts work, isn't it? But um, On time. Yeah, as we sit here now, it's Thursday, so we're a couple of days away. Um, it's a huge event, isn't it? How we feel? First of all, like we'll get into the detail, but how are we actually feeling about this game? Andy, you've got your head in your hands already. I'll start with you. Look, I'm looking forward to go to the <laughs> FA Cup final to watch Manchester United in the FA Cup final. And I'll convince myself that Manchester United are going to win it. I've heard pretty good noises coming out of Manchester United this week, starting from Eric Ten Hag. Uh, City are clearly brilliant, aren't they? I don't expect United to have the ball for a lot of the time. Every player's got to perform, perform to a system, and anything can happen. I'm not going to slip into cliches and talk about derbies or on the day and that sort of stuff, but 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 it is true. I think if Manchester United played City 10 times, City will probably win seven of those times at the moment. But, so at Wembley, you've got the superior fan base. United won the last game in January. And when I walk through those turnstiles or doors or whatever they are, I will be thinking that, because I'm so invested in it. Oh, yeah. I mean, just imagine... I've got to go as a reporter. I've got to speak to the winning people after the match. Hello, Joseph. How does it feel to win the game? Oh, come on. I can't be doing that. It's not even fair. <laughs> Do you call him Joseph? Um, Joseph. He's Catalan. I was going to say that's even a step further than Carl calling Ten Hag, Mr. Ten Hag, as he does in every press conference. Joseph. It always makes me ch- chuckle a little bit. And I mean, just go on, Laurie. You answer it. I think this is what... I mean, I feel incredible, incredible privilege to that will be there for this game. You know, it's kind of you know, well, once in a lifetime, once in once in history so far that we'll be there for this. So, whatever happens, this is what sports about. This kind of jeopardy between an extreme high and yeah. potentially extreme low. That's what makes it mean more and, and and feel the real emotion. I'm sure that when the day comes, United fans will be sort of having that confidence that they can actually do this they'll start to believe and I think that obviously started on Sunday with Tenag you know making that speech on the pitch um but yeah I mean logic suggests that United will get beaten by Man City because Man City are the better team but then again United have actually beaten City you know a, a good number of times in recent seasons to say that actually they, they know how to do it the Anthony Marshall injury is a is a blow whatever yeah, you think agree. about his, his uh, no, commitment totally and, and abilities on the pitch it's an option less isn't it yeah. an option less Anthony also I know that Tenag was sort of sounding positive about him but I don't know I, I hear things that suggest to me that he won't be fit so yeah you're looking at a limited amount of options up front but if they take the first goal I think will be crucial I think I know that they came from behind to beat them at Old Trafford but I can know Wembley feels like a more difficult um circumstance to do that um and yeah I just wonder if, if if they can get the first goal though and and you know I was you know I was, I was speaking to somebody at Old Trafford uh on on Tuesday which maybe we'll get to and I was just sort of saying it reminded me a little bit of 2006-7 when United finished that season with a defeat at home to West Ham obviously they were fighting for their lives Carlos Tevez scored and then they went and lost the FA Cup final to Chelsea you know they'd already won the league can we read any similarities into what Man City have done, you know, losing at Brentford and, and drawing against Brighton? I know they've been rotating the team and they've been 
having a good time and, and maybe that's all that matters. I don't think it's ideal for City that. I know Pep Guardiola said that he wanted to get the Premier League in the bag as soon as possible and I completely understand that. But yeah. to have a few matches where maybe their level's not been quite at the, at the highest, to have players sat out because they're protecting themselves with the injuries that they've got, which I'm sure if the games had been important that they would have played, I don't think that's ideal for them. Someone got in touch about the record for City as well, away against the top nine. So they were talking about Manchester United not beating anyone in the top nine. Obviously, we've reflected on that away from home in the Premier League. Well, City actually only beat Arsenal away from home in the top nine, which was really surprising. I didn't know about that. And another factor as well, I spent quite a lot of time at City towards the end of the, the Premier League season and the fans are absolutely dreading it. Yeah. Dreading it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we think we're sort of feeling pessimistic about this game because of the fact that, you know, like you've said, logic states that City are at the moment a better team than Manchester United. But they're looking at, you know, a treble. The thing that they say we've banged on about for 20 years. And by the way, this isn't going to stop. But no, we're going to keep banging on about the fact we've won the treble in <laughs> yeah. 1999. No matter what treble. happens at the weekend, that will continue. <laughs> but the fact that it's us in the final against them... Um, you know, all right, you might say it's poetic that you go on to win the treble by beating Manchester United in the final. But as they sit here now, and as they were sat there in the Etihad ahead of the Premier League games, I spoke to quite a few of them, and they were just like, oh, it has to be them, doesn't it? It has to be them. Good. Exactly. Good. Well, I, I feel like that should give some Manchester United fans a little bit more confidence that that's how some City fans are feeling ahead of this game because there's been so... I mean, the amount of people after that bloody semi-final were like, well, I'd rather Brighton got through because they'd have a better chance against City. And you're just like, sure. Nah. (laughs) Sure. I think that United will always be the first team to win the treble from England. That's not going to change. United beating City at Wembley will not be the biggest shock ever. United have been underdogs in plenty of matches throughout the history. Absolutely, by the way. And yeah. prevailed, stopped Liverpool winning the treble in 77. Even the 85 Cup final, Everton were the favourites. I remember 2004 FA Cup semi-final against a really informed Arsenal team at Villa Park. They were clear favourites, Arsenal. United were not doing well. And the atmosphere that day was probably the best of the season from United fans. It was non-stop. So the fans have got to do their bit as well really really important tickets are not as in demand as I thought they would be and maybe that's that dread factor you're talking about maybe City fans are thinking we're going to Istanbul maybe there's the train strike but it is a lot lot easier to get a ticket than it was for the Newcastle United final for example yeah I agree with that now clearly the game's sold yeah, out I agree with that and people have got issues get, getting down there but yeah, as I keep talking I sound I, I feel more confident about it there's some lovely background, actually, on The Athletic. A couple of articles I should point in the direction of, actually. Uh, Critch, our friend, Mark Critchley, uh, who's been on the pod a couple of times, um, he's written about 1999. When Manchester United were winning in Barcelona, beating Bayern Munich to clinch the treble, City were beating Gillingham in the League One, as it is now, uh, playoff final, the third tier, the second division, as it was back then. Um, and some detail around you know, the sort of difference in the fortunes of the two teams at that point. Danny Taylor, as well, has done a piece fascinating for any sort of newer fans, I think, to, to this dynamic about what the rivalry between United and City used to be like. I mean, one of my earliest memories, Andy, of going to Old Trafford was United beating City 5-0. And there was the guy, the most excited I think I've ever seen anyone in my life, banging on a bin as there used to be these plastic bins on the concourse at Old Trafford, going one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five nil. That was um, 94, November 94. 10th of November. It's a great song about like it. Kanchelskis well. was doing well. Um, 
reason it was so significant is City beat United 5-1 in September 89. Yeah. And for like years, City fans will be singing one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five. So when United could whack it back to them, I remember speaking to Steve Lomas, one of the City players years after that, and he told me that the manager said to the City players before the game at Old Trafford, I'm sick of coming here and getting taken apart. Go out and attack them. And they got beat 5-0. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's amazing really, Laurie, isn't it, to think back at how different the dynamic between these two teams is now. I mean, for, for younger fans or newer fans to football who, you know, might have jumped on the, the Premier League bandwagon in recent times, to, to actually understand that United used to have a banner, Danny writes about it in the piece, in the Stretford end, which detailed mm, yeah. quite how long it had been since City last won a trophy. And it ran to 35 years. So every year, I think it started maybe at about 24, 25. And every year, the little the little ticker would slip down um, and they'd print a new banner. So it'd be 24, 25, 26, 27, all the way to 35. Unfortunately, it ended. Uh, and again, back then, that was poetic for them that they beat United in that 2011 final. And when you look at the, the, the way that the pendulum has swung in City's favour in recent times, I think it's that game. I think it's that semi-final, that... That, to me, was the point. It was. You know, forget winning the league in 2012, forget the the, the takeover even, or the 6-1 derby. It, it always feels like that semi-final to me. It was. It was. It was yeah. horrible atmosphere that day between both sets of fans. Um, you mentioned that flag. That flag started in the city that I'm in. It started in 93 when United played Homved, and a lad called Tony Crook from Ermston brought a flag, massive flag, and it just said 17 years. That's all it said on it. And then obviously, year after year, it increased. So right it actually up to started at 17 years, did it? I never knew that. It started in the city I'm in now. Wow. In 1993. Great info, that. I, I remember going every year and, and the you know the start of each season, just the fact that it had added another one. You just look up to the Stretford and you go, oh, right, there it is. Because was it because was it only when it was Stretford and tier two that they yeah. started then hanging yeah, it? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Because obviously, you know, it needs, yeah, it needs something to hang off, right? So, uh, and obviously there's the song, you know, 36 years or whatever, 34 F4. years, you know, and yeah. oh, cool. <laughs> I wouldn't have minded it getting <laughs> it to just, 36 years, Laurie. That was the problem. It only got up to 35. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm manifesting that, aren't I? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the 2011 semi, I, I went there with my dad, actually, and I think he managed to, I, I'm sort of, the, the recollections are kind of hazy, but I'm, I think he managed to sort of guard me against any, uh, the scenes getting too tasty. But obviously that's, you know, they're, they're really concerned about that though, aren't they, for, yeah. for this final, particularly with the train strikes where, I mean, I'm going to drive down on the Saturday and they've they've designated different service stations for different sets of fans on the coaches as they come down. Whether or not they'll actually you know, adhere to that. I don't know. But they, they even, Great Manchester Police said, you know, can you take a different route city? And I don't know if you've seen it. It's like, yeah. th- ideally they want them to go across the Pennines and then down the M1, which adds about 40 miles onto the journey. So I don't, I don't think they'll be doing that. But um, there is obviously, you know, a bit of concern about what it's going to be like there and, and, and on the way down and on the way back, I guess. But um, yeah, I suppose that just all adds into the, the spectacle of it and the, the scale of it. I mean, to, to stop City doing the treble, for City to do the treble by beating United, the stakes don't get any higher. Remember that game in 2011, stood on Wembley Way and there were two groups of lads, red and blue, both of them hard, seven or eight of each, stood right in front of each other, knowing that they were being watched by cameras, going, you take the first punch then, because they knew that whoever met, took the first punch would be nicked for assault. It was just really visceral and real just to see that. And pretty awful, because you don't really want that at, at football matches. 
City fans are saying there's no fans in Manchester. Well, they'll certainly see that on the way down to Wembley. I mean, their route will go, I suppose if they're leaving Stockport, it's not that far of a stretch to go over <laughs> the Peak District and head down that way. Or, you know, Glossop, all the sort of Yonner towns around Manchester. And, 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 and United fans, sorry, mate, United fans can obviously just go straight from Manchester. Yeah. I've got to say, when people expect the most, most trouble, City fans can surprise. Remember that 58, 50th anniversary at Old Trafford 2008? Yep. Everyone expected trouble. Everybody. They were impeccable. And they were brilliant City fans. Okay, well, if you want to read more about the history of the rivalry between these teams and obviously the history of, of 1999 as well, there's those two articles on The Athletic. If you're not a subscriber, there's still time to do it this season. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod and you can take advantage of the special price of $1.99 a month for the first 12 months. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Right, let's bring it back to the football side of things then, uh, ahead of Saturday. You mentioned Anthony Martial, Laurie, um, pulling his hamstring and being out of this game. We've had a few questions about exactly what the lineup's going to look like. We'll get to that in a minute, but how do you see Ten Hag lining up for this game? We're actually doing a predicted or a kind of uh, what we would do lineups. I know Andy's well, um, made an interesting call. For the attention of Eric Ten Hag for the weekend, just in case he's not thought of it. I, I I think he could still, you know, get get a few uh, tips from us lot, you know, about his press conference in an hour from here. So, you know, I can pass on Andy's suggestion that he does start Valt Vergost up top. Sorry if I'm spoiling anything there. Go and, go and read Andy's full team in case uh, he, he pulls any more surprises. I mean, I don't know. He is actually the only, you know, recognised centre forward that United have got fit, really. I know. I think I would probably still rather see Marcus Rashford start up top. Sancho... And, and the, the debate is Bruno Fernandes. Does he go on the right wing, and and does he have uh, Fred as number ten? You know that's that that worked against City at Old Trafford. Can he replicate that? And the way that Fred played against Fulham on Sunday and kind of got applauded off by his teammates, and you're sort of thinking, okay, is that what they might start with? Because he needs energy in midfield for sure. So uh, the only thing there, I suppose, is then can he can he change it enough as the game goes on? But I think you kind of have to start with your best team and just hope you can win it in normal time. I've been surrounded by amazing football brains for the last couple of days where oh, yeah. I know like 1% to their 100% <laughs> and, and had a, an informal chat with some of them. I'm not convinced by Valt Ghost at all. I don't think he's Manchester United standard, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did start it. If only because Marcus Rashford is more effective on the left, he's not, not a true centre forward. 
I agree with Laurie earlier on and, and you, Ian, about missing Martial. I think it, it is a miss, even though he's not had a good season either. I think it's the option as well, isn't it? It's another it's thing option. for Guardiola yeah. to think about and plan for. And if he's not there, then obviously he doesn't need to worry about it. What Vegos gives you is he's a target man. He can hold the ball up and you can have the faster players around him on the counter-attack, which is the most likely way Manchester United are going to beat City. Fred's got the legs. You know, Christian Eriksen's a fantastic footballer, but Fred's has been very effective in some derby matches. He's got the bite. He needs to chase the spaces down. City are going to dominate. They're going to have most of the ball. Can't you tell that I've just been sat with a load of coaches for like yeah, two days? You're talking <laughs> like him. <laughs> I could talk. He's put his jacket on and he's come to talk Honestly, tactics. Mate. You asked me about the way Roma set up last night and I, I will sound like, you know, Louis van Gaal. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. You might offer us a mince pie at the end. I, I don't, I've got no inside and I'm probably going to spoil my record on this podcast. Remember when I predicted the Tottenham lineup away towards the end of um, Oli Gunnar's reign? Got it exactly right. But I've got no insight on this one at all. I just wouldn't be surprised. The counter to that, because you know, we'd be missing Anthony as well, probably. Garnacho, he's fearless. I think you've made that point a few times, Ian. He wouldn't be phased by it, would he? No, is he ready to play 90 minutes? I think he's a good option off the bench, though, maybe. What, what Vegos would give you is is more structure. So, tactically, I'm, I'm finding it very very interesting how he's going to set up on Saturday. I think City's lineup probably going to pick itself. Do you think, because I, I wonder with that, he's got the Champions League final as well. I mean, mm. is he going to play the same team in the Champions League final and the FA Cup final. Is he going to play his strongest side in both those games? Because I'm not sure. I think I think the FA Cup final, actually, you might find that the the team is a little different to what you expect City at full strength. Definitely the goalkeeper. I think Ortega starts, not Edison. And people like Phil Foden are more likely to start the FA Cup final than the Champions League final. Um, the defence has changed all season. I think that will be something that, that Guardiola picks to suit the opposition, what he expects them to do. But... I don't know if it does pick itself. I, I, I don't watch them all the time. I speak to people who do. I'm probably being influenced by what they're telling me. If the Europa, if the Champions League final was on Wednesday, I'd buy more into your point. But he's got a, he's got a full week to prepare for it. And the team that he's been picking has, has been winning. If I was him, I'd go with the strongest team. But he's a professional football manager and I'm not... So he's yeah, never going to listen to me. It's a fairly in fact, successful. You look like one in that suit, to be in fair, fact, Andy. Pep, if you are listening to this, if I was you, can I just take back what I said? Don't go with your strongest team. Istanbul's the big one. You know how much that Champions League would mean. Play some 19 year olds, let them have a nice experience at Wembley. <laughs> That's what you should be doing, Joseph. Yep. Pep definitely listens to Talk of the Devils <laughs> for the insight on United. Isn't <laughs> Uh, yeah, let's move it on. Um, we've got Richard's question then. Um, I think Sancho could be crucial to success in the final. Put him on the left, Bruno on the right, Rashford centre forward, Fred Casimiro and Eriksen to start. 60 minutes, Eriksen comes off for Garnacho, who goes to the left and then Sancho to the right. We've all joked about Vegos, but if he does score a winner, does that bring him into the contention of securing a contract as a rotation striker to back up Oshiman or Kane? He's clearly been thinking about this and fantasising a bit about what Manchester United's front line looks like next season and how this final might go, but Anything in that, Laurie? I just don't think United will sign Valt Vogels. I think he was an emergency yeah, yeah. signing in a specific circumstance. Sorry, no, no, feel, sorry. Feel free uh, to score the winner, Valt. That's fine. Uh, but um, <laughs> I would yeah. score the winner, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you just sort of th- like I say, I think I mentioned this already, but like him on the turf at the Stretford end, having not scored. I mean, I know that feeling, by the way, after whoa, Tuesday's whoa, game, whoa, whoa. missing easy chances at the Stretford end. Oh, yeah. Tell us about it. 
I've just listen. If you've seen Valtergos play football, I'm basically him, but like you know, twenty-seven rungs below. Only twenty-seven. Hundred rungs below. Okay, I, I don't know. A, a, a massive multiple <laughs> reduced from him, but the kind of general style of run around, get a couple of chances at the Stretford end, miss, hold your head in your hands, thinking this was my opportunity to score in front of the Stretford end, because you know it's going to be the same for him. And so, if people haven't go. seen no, no, your no, 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 your no, social no, media, no. this was a media no. game, wasn't it, that you were playing in? It was Manchester United's media teams or team teams versus some of the journalists who cover United. Yeah, stop, stop, ask, stop asking Laurie this, Laurie, Laurie. You've played in a game at Old Trafford, right? Can I ask you some questions, please, Lawrence? I think I know where this is going. I think you've got some insight here, haven't you? You've got your well, sources on how I perform. every journalist have some sources? Um, you talk about <laughs> the on, importance then. of keeping a clean sheet. You've mentioned it several times in the podcast. Did your team keep a clean sheet? We did not, no. How many goals did you concede? Well, I actually Just thought... answer the question. Cut the waffle. The, how many the goals official, did you concede? Well, the official scoreline was 9-4. You conceded 9. 9? One, I think they might have even scored. Three. I think they might have even scored ten. So we've been talking about chiding away fans with five, and you've conceded nine or maybe even ten. Well, I wasn't the goalkeeper, and I also wasn't in defence, which is where we conceded the most of goals in the, at the oh, end I of the first the, half when I was off the pitch. Did, did, you were off the pitch. Did anyone? I'm just writing this. Did writing anyone stats, have, have to leave the pitch because of you? Uh, oh, <laughs> well, this is this is my movement. It's just fluid movement in the front line so I, I did this is one of my chances that I missed uh, yeah uh, an opposition player I ran in behind got a lovely ball from I think it was Liam Corliss it could have been Joe Thompson uh, Liam Corliss works for the MEN Joe Thompson came through United's academy never actually played for United but brilliant brilliant player brilliant guy and he was loving the fact that he was playing at Old Trafford my movement might have um, you know put a defender opposition on the on the floor I had no, no, no care for that person. I, I tried to score, put it round the goalkeeper. Didn't actually put enough pace on the ball. Didn't even reach the goal. You're twirling so, this. Let uh, me, let me, let me phrase it in another way. Tell me. Put to me. Make sure you ask Laurie about how he injured a poor innocent girl during the match, and she had to be stretched off. That's slightly different from the positive spin you're putting on events. Yeah. No way was there a stretcher involved, by the way. And all I'm, it was not a tackle. It, I, it was just my movement, and it was just such. You know, dexterous footwork that you're not you're not swimming now, mate. We're talking about football. I'm, I'm swimming through a load of shy that I'm trying to water out. <laughs> you conceded nine. If I was you, I'd just be keeping your mouth shut and say, right, I'm going to go and speak to Tenag before the FA Cup final press conference, and then I'm going to make my way down to London. Can, can I just say who was in midfield up against me though? Go on, Darren Fletcher. Yeah, technical director, Man United, yeah. winner of multiple Premier Leagues, yeah. Champions League. And I've got him breathing down my neck, snapping into tackles. He's still got it, by the way. Yeah, these lads do. I don't think people appreciate how good you've got to be to earn money to play football, let alone a Premier League well, player. That's what you start to appreciate, yeah, yeah. They're so much better. Yeah. Danny Webber played up front for us, I have to say. His chest control, better than Marin Fellaini. And next to me in midfield for the first half was Mickey Gray, yeah. who just basically kept saying, keep hold of the ball. He just kept getting... Quite angry at people not being as good as him. Well, he's a Premier League footballer. Um, which is un- understandable. I'm told Webber missed some chances. Well, he scored two. I'm told he missed some chances. <laughs> I think he did miss one, yeah, definitely. But when you play with pros... But you had to go off at played time. with a lad last year and uh, I was at fullback and I said to him, just watch, watch your position there. And he looked at me like I was a complete knob. 
And five minutes into the game, I realised why. Because I didn't recognise him, but he'd been a first-team footballer for a, a village football club called FC Barcelona. And obviously now <laughs> when I play with him, I'm totally reverential to him. But he guides me through matches. And this is a lad who he played 500 games pro, but only like 20 for Barca. Absolutely fascinating. Completely wasted on me at my age. But I just think, why did a coach never tell me this sort of stuff when I was younger? They see things in a totally different way. Yeah. Their level, to get to that level, I mean, most of my family got paid to play semi-pro. And they were really, really good footballers. So frustrates me a bit when I see fans going, he's absolutely useless. Nah, you don't get... Valt Vegos is not useless. He's not good enough to play for Manchester United. But he's done really, really well to get to that level. And when he's scored the winning goal at Wembley on Saturday, we can all toast him. Oh, I hope he's... Uh day out at Wembley goes a lot better than Laurie's day out at Old Trafford anyway that's all I'll say after that scouting report uh, Andy and Laurie thank you so much for being with us on Talk of the Devils we'll be back after the FA Cup final remember our live show dates New Century in Manchester on Monday the 4th of September Leicester Square Theatre in London the following night Tuesday the 5th of September tickets are selling out fast at both places Manchester's doing slightly better than London at the moment so Let's keep pushing on that one. If you want to book tickets or you want more information, please head to myticket.co.uk and search for Talk of the Devils. Remember as well, get your emails in for our end of season podcast after the FA Cup final, devilspod at theathletic.com. We're going to finish then on something that came out of the last pod and that was an anthem for Old Trafford. We had some brilliant suggestions on the comments, on email, on social media as well. Matt Booth said, what about Sympathy for the Devil by Guns N' Roses? To meet you. Andrew said, the anthem discussion, how about Dirty Old Town? Imagine belting this out after a few beers. I'll chop you down Like an old Dutch train Obviously, Laurie said Aerosmith. The less said about that, the better. Even tried pushing it. Did you not see my Insta story? I did, mate, yeah, unfortunately. The reaction, people were not pleased, to be fair. Yeah, it's not, not a go <laughs> You got your mum worried about your welfare as well, didn't you, with that song? That's how bad the song is. And yeah. this, this shows you, she has to follow my Instagram to keep up with me because I'm so bad at communication, but she just replied to me going, are you all right? And I was like, mum, it's a, it's a reference to the podcast. These, all these people get it. Yeah, I, I like Simon's as well. He said, listen to this, 73,000 belting out in unison. Time is my everything. For you, I'd do anything under the sun. Uh, which is Ian Brown, which might be an interesting suggestion. Sounds like this, if you don't know what it is. But then I think the winner maybe, or certainly the one that has got us talking the most, uh, was an email by Snowy. It said, I'm thinking of the most rousing tune I can and nothing struck me more than Elbow's classic, One Day Like This. Just picture 120,000 United supporters in our refurbished Old Trafford standing <laughs> up and singing, Just One Day Like This A Year would see me right at full blast. Huge orchestra fill, booming background, immense. Guy Garvey's from Berry as well. Greater Manchester counts, doesn't it, Ian? Yes, it does. Although you're a yonner, I think, in Andy's books if you're from <laughs> Berry as well. Uh, so it might fit even better. But yeah, thank you for that suggestion, Snowy. Thank you for all of them. And thank you for listening as well. We'll see you on the next one after the FA Cup final. Fingers crossed.
Take care. Enjoy the game. See you later. Bye-bye. Athletic.